0: Well, good morning. Let's bring uh, a lot of love and greetings to you from uh, Grandview. And uh, today, it's just a real uh, awesome uh, opportunity to come and to share with our Heritage Grace family. And we do consider you family. We are part of uh, one body that is uh, working together to see uh, the Waterloo region shared and uh, the gospel to go forward. and uh, And I uh, just wanted to take, take a, just a moment to to do encourage you to uh, participate in this upcoming uh, members meeting and focus meeting, just because uh, it's just going to be six exciting op- uh, updates, not only around what is going on at Heritage Grace, but with the Arabic ministry that you supported so generously, and lots of exciting things in these days. God is at work, and we uh, we just want to invite you to uh, participate in that, So especially those who have just kind of come aboard please uh, come and join with us as we celebrate what God is doing. So my role today is to bring uh, the word of God uh, with us together. What a privilege it is. And so I just want to start off by saying uh, being rejected is no fun, right? Simple statement. But uh, if you're a fan of a show like uh, American Idol, every week millions of Canadians and Americans watch a TV show that does a whole lot of rejecting. Sure, there's great moments. People have these moments where they are celebrated in huge ways, but there's a whole lot of, uh, you're just not quite good enough. And in real life, uh, many of us have felt the sting of rejection. You've been, maybe even in a job, you've been passed over for a promotion, you've received a jo- a bad job review. Worse still, you may have been let go that sort of rejection is a bitter pill to swallow, especially if you've been at a in a work environment for a long time. How could they do that? It since I've given, I've given them so many years, so many good years. Some of you here listening today might be feeling as though you've been rejected by a parent, that you've never quite measured up. What about being even harder, it seems like rejected by a child or a spouse? It's devastating stuff. It's debilitating, and it's real life. It can rock you to the core. Now, in today's passage, Matthew 13, 53 to 58, which I want to invite you to turn to, open your Bibles. I know you can probably just watch a lot of this on screen, but I just want to encourage you to grab your Bibles, wherever you are, open it up here together. And I want to start off by saying we're brought into Jesus' experience and his understanding of rejection this morning. It's a passage about a hometown boy returning to Nazareth, the town that he grew up in. Now, if you're familiar with the Toronto Maple Leafs, this is maybe something akin to John Tavares, uh, the NHL star, who returns as, as the hometown hero with great fanfare and expectations. And Jesus... But Jesus, at this point in his ministry, is growing in his celebrity, with people who are beginning to talk about him. He, they're going; to, they're talking about his teaching and his his performing, his performing of miracles. And in returning home, he faces a crowd that you would think uh, would celebrate him, but the reality is this crowd knows him better than anyone. And so I want to invite you to turn with me as we start in chapter thirteen of Matthew, verse fifty three, and we're gonna read this passage together, we're going to stop at certain points in time along the way and just make some comments as we walk through the the context of this passage together. So starting at verse 53, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Now the there in this passage is Capernaum, where Jesus has been doing some pretty miraculous stuff at Grandview we've been talking through this path, through the book of Matthew's and we've been talking about the parables that Jesus has been preaching and the various responses to the kingdom message that Jesus was preaching the various responses that Jesus had to the gospel that Jesus was experiencing to the gospel now in this passage in particular we're talking the the passage is coming off of the parable of the four soils as a centerpiece and in that parable, Jesus gives four responses to the kingdom message, with only one response being deemed good, the good soil. And so after teaching his disciples about rejection, the, the time has come for a little life lesson. This is such the way of Jesus. He spent some time with his, his people, he spent some time teaching, and then he reinforces that teaching with a practical life experience. And that's what we find here. And so we continue on in verse 54, and it says, Coming into their hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did he, this man, get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And this is, here we see the response of Nazareth again. And I say again because, in fact, many commentators believe that this is Jesus' second visit to Nazareth. Jesus, Luke tells about a previous one that, where they had tried to throw off, throw him off a cliff, and kill him. Only Jesus, in uh, returns to a place like this, but uh, this is what they do, and they're so accept upset that they cl- that he claimed to be the Messiah, instead of accepting him as the gift of God, and his wisdom they they couldn't deny it, his miracles they couldn't deny. He promised them that he was the Messiah. And he showed them that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. But instead of embracing him in joy, instead of embracing him as their Messiah and his kingdom, they try to kill him. And now here, about a year later, he comes back. And he follows basically the same format as before. In verse 54, it says this, that he went, goes again into the synagogue, and he sits down and he teaches. He calls himself a prophet. He taught them again that he was the fulfillment of the promise of God, and they were astonished. That's the reaction, astonished. Now, on the surface, that seems like a, a great start, a great reaction. They were astonished. But the real reaction is of both astonishment and rejection. The people here they ask him where he got this kind of wisdom and his ability to do the good works. Where did he, uh, where did he get this stuff? And what about this uh, his occupation? They ask him about they ask about the occupation and his family. They didn't deny Jesus' obvious power, but they were offended. That someone from within themselves, from someone who was they had known all their lives, would seem now to be so important and so favored. Jesus didn't fit their idea of him. And they were so committed to f- him fitting their preferred mold. And I ask you the question, are we so committed to Jesus fitting our mold that we ourselves struggle with when we are surprised by who jesus reveals himself to be and so again the people of nazareth offended by him and they ultimately rejected him verse 58 says this and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack faith. That's Jesus' reaction to the hometown crowd. Now in Mark chapter 5 verse 6 it it helps us so much because it gives us a bit more of an account. We actually have a, a parallel account of this moment and Mark adds this. He says he could do no miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. There was unbelief Despite even seeing a little bit they he he di- he didn't do a lot of what he was doing in Capernaum, but they gave it he gave him a glimpse, and even that was not enough and it just shows us again and again that even in the face of miracles alone that's not enough to provoke belief in jesus and so there's unbelief despite these powerful miracles. Why is this it, it's not because God can only do miracles when his power is released by faith. Some people say that, you know, your faith is what releases God's miracles. I think that's a false idea here. That's a that's but a way of understanding this is is this that Jesus is in essence is saying, I could not give my son a reward because of his bad behavior. It means that Jesus could not appropriately do something since this would contradict his message not that he was physically incapable of it god can do anything he wants at any given time regardless of who is present and what they believe god is not limited by human beings we need to remind ourselves of this over and over again God does not exist for the pleasure of people. The opposite is true. People exist for God. And Jesus would not perform miracles to entertain or satisfy ungodly curiosity. And Jesus rebukes the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 12, just a few chapters earlier, by telling them that An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And so Jesus performs miracles in accordance to Old Testament prophecies, and he demonstrates that he was indeed the Messiah, but it's his choice here not to do them to satisfy the desire of those whose hearts were hard and were willfully unbelieving, okay? willfully unbelieving that's the that's the idea here that these weren't people just kind of who had not known things or they did, had, could claim a level of ignorance they had never encountered jesus before no they saw jesus they knew him and yet willfully unbelieved. unbelief is a powerful thing we should not discount it we should not lighten it up it's insidious and there are some really important in this very short passage important lessons for us to take from here i want to talk about two lessons in particular and then a point of application for us to close off and the first one is this that unbelief it blurs the obvious and that's what we find in verse 53 here The people of Nazareth, they have the evidence before them. They don't just have an account of Jesus' persuasive teaching from Capernaum. They haven't just kind of heard rumors. They had him in front of them. They heard it with their own ears. They even witnessed, as Mark tells us, a few healings. And so they must have seen his character. They, they They weren't surprised by him. Even though he had moved away from Nazareth at some point in time, his good, no, perfect, moral character was on display before them, even as a child. Now the question is, how can you reject Jesus Christ when his wisdom and his power are inexplicably like right there before you in human terms? How can you uh, not believe that he is from God? And the only explanation from what for what he says and what he does is that God is with him. That's the explanation that is the most clear. Even Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus and in John chapter 3 he says, "Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him." Now John MacArthur He said this, I was reading a commentary of his concerning this passage, and he says this, one of the greatest apologetics for the deity of Jesus Christ is the fact that his enemies always affirmed his power. His enemies never denied his miracles. They never denied his wisdom. It's only contemporary enemies, people today that are foolish enough to do that. Now, the ones alive when Jesus lived, they didn't deny that he had extraordinary power. It was foolishness to try to do this. People saw it in front of them. They didn't deny his knowledge, even as a 12-year-old in the temple. People were amazed at what Jesus was asking questions and what he was saying. And it only grew from there. But they never made that logical connection between his power and that wisdom and God. And it wasn't because that connection wasn't apparent. It was apparent. They chose to willfully unbelieve. And that is one of the responses that we need to know. We need to understand that we're going to experience when we share the gospel with people around us. That's the stony ground. That's the hard soil. The seed for never penetrates because there's a hard heart of unbelief. could see this uh in your life around you that when you take opportunities to actually share the gospel or actually tell your testimony or tell people about jesus the more you witness the more you begin to discern between those who are honestly struggling with unbelief with doubts they may have doubts and those who are willfully unbelieving it's really it's like a question of openness. People who are seeking but struggling ask questions that will lead them to further understanding. They'll ask you questions to explain further for help in understanding. But there are others who will divert every conversation that you give, everything that you're talking about to their pet argument, diverting the discussion away from their, the ultimate claims of Jesus And ultimately avoiding the problem of evil in our own heart. It is a sin problem that drives their unbelief, not a lack of evidence. I want to say that again. It is a sin problem that drives unbelief, not a lack of evidence. And willful unbelief avoids surrendering to Jesus because it demands That we give up our love of sin. That we give up rebellion against God. And so, friends, I say this to you today. I want you to hear this, is that we shouldn't be surprised by this kind of response to the gospel. Jesus experienced it. His disciples experienced it. We will, too. And what I believe is to be a practical application that we can glean from this passage is this, that when we experience willful unbelief, and you will, to the gospel, avoid endless arguments. For some of us, those Facebook arguments that you are engaging in are just a waste of time. Some of them are, you're, you're better spent taking a person out who is asking questions who are, are loving that neighbor down the street or doing those things or talking to your neighbors in a tangible way. Hear, hear me out on this. I am not saying that you don't pray for your neighbor or your coworker or your family member that doesn't is seemingly is close to the gospel. Do pray. Do not give up. Persistent prayer. But remember this, that like the people of Nazareth, more evidence isn't just is is not what is needed it is a change of heart that can only come through the holy spirit but it also seems that in this passage that jesus doesn't allow himself to be diverted in his mission to try and to change their minds jesus doesn't kind of come along and say well let me just what you don't believe? Let well let me do another miracle for you. Maybe you'll believe after this. Or let me teach you on this. And oh, that wasn't persuasive enough. Let me teach you about this. Oh you need another miracle. Okay, let me let me give you another one. No, he he doesn't get diverted on his mission by those who are willfully unbelieving. He doesn't try to argue people into the kingdom of God. He doesn't plead for their attention. He doesn't perform miracles on demand. And the sad reality is that as far as we can understand, as far as we know, that when Jesus leaves Nazareth at this point in time, he never returns again. Many times Jesus worked, works despite doubts in people's hearts. Over and over again, you see people who have doubts in their hearts, but Jesus works. But one thing he doesn't to tolerate is a completely closed heart especially among those who are religious so that's our first lesson today is that unbelief blurs the obvious now the second thing I want to dive into here and I think this is the second point that is the bulk of the passage found here is that unbelief can flow out of familiarity You know, the second lesson that comes from this text can be coined from the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. You've heard that before, probably. We get a glimpse of the objections that the people of Nazareth had to Jesus. He's known to them. Their issue with him, even affirming all the miracles, they're, they're affirming the miracles, they're affirming the persuasive speech, is that he's just far too common. Notice the first question they ask in verse fifty-five here. It says, "Isn't this the the carpenter's son?" It wasn't that there was anything wrong with being a carpenter. It's it was a respected trade. It's not, and probably more along the lines of what we should be thinking about is the is maybe a stonemason. It's a respected trade, but it it's common. There's lots of people who were stonemasons, carpenters but they scoffed at the son of a carpenter in front of them. We have to understand that in that culture, this is really common. Boys carried on the trade of the fa- of the father for, in most cases. They carried on their family business. And so if Joseph was a carpenter, his sons would be as well. And so it makes sense for us to, on first glance here, first reading, for it makes sense for them to say, hey, this guy doesn't have any qualification he doesn't have any authority to preach at us he's not a rabbi he's just a common carpenter and then they don't leave it his occupation they move on to his family and they say isn't his mother's name mary you know mary we we know mary and aren't his brothers james and joseph and simon and judas you know those brothers we know them And aren't all his sisters with us? Maybe his sisters all had gotten married, returned to Nazareth, and were among them, living among them. Where then did this man get all these things? They knew his family. And there's maybe still some whispers of scandal concerning Mary's pregnancy with Jesus. Perhaps most people had moved on. People moved on after the years past that. But they're simply saying here, we know this family and there is no royal blood among them, no great warrior among them, no history of trained rabbis. Why should we listen to this guy? And who is he? Who is he to try to rise above his station in life? You know, when I... Started out in ministry as a pastor twenty years ago, over twenty years ago now. It, it was among people who had seen me grow up among them. I they had I had the first the opportunity really to pastor in a church uh, where people had seen me from like yay big as a baby. They had seen me in the nursery, and I would smile at the comments that were made that, by those who, in loving ways, said. I remember changing your diapers in the in the nursery. But honestly, it's a bit of a struggle at times to lead those who are older than you, you know, as a 20-year-old, and then also those who had known you for a long time because they're familiar with you. They've seen all your awkward stages. They saw me as a junior high. And they saw you, they can sometimes still see you as the little kid that they once knew. And this caused some people to honestly as we had diet struggles as we talked with people and sometimes you have difficult conversations and they said you know they struggled to see me as their pastor and this it's not a perfect analogy no analogy ever is but i think this is a bit of an idea of what the barrier is to belief for those in nazareth familiarity had bred contempt I think on a bigger scale, this is a bit of the issue that we find here in Canada and sometimes even within our own church. You know, Canada and Western culture in general has been deeply shaped by and influenced by Christianity. Our laws and our ethics have been historically shaped by a Judeo-Christian worldview. Scripture is even written on the walls of our parliament buildings. Even in my lifetime, and I consider myself not that old yet, but uh, maybe I'm deluding myself, but we quoted the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of the day in our public schools. You know, people from a Muslim background or um, uh, from Muslim-dominated countries view Canada as a Christian country. You know, imagine the confusion they have. Sometimes we had a conversation one time was that, When they see the lineups outside of liquor stores and they are trying to talk to me about, well, everyone is a Christian here in Canada. I don't understand this. And you have to walk back and go, well, not everyone is a believer in Jesus Christ in this country. But in the world's view, there are many countries that view Canada as a Christian nation. But we know better than this. We see our culture right now very quickly. Rejecting many of the values that shaped uh, the initial startup of Canada, and we know people were here in this country f- far before us. But in the beginning of the of the Canadian uh, country, the country of Canada, and the settlers here, our culture wants to mix together. Now, right now, the mix of the golden rule of all religions, maybe a little Eastern mysticism under the the banner of loving people and say all roads lead to the same god. And part of that is because of the sin and hypocrisy of the church. They they've seen the church not act in ways that are consistent with the word of god and who our messiah is. But I would argue one of the one of the reasons why this is a such an, a significant issue for us as a as a country and as a church is that familiarity has bread contempt. We have an entire culture uh, right now that is in general, of course, they view faith in Jesus not as just irrelevant, but actually dangerous, far too narrow for any respected person to believe. And this familiarity can, especially right now, manifest itself among our younger generations of our church. And some of you are parents here today of young children that you are raising up as is seeking and praying as heart in your heart that they would become followers of jesus christ and that is great but some of you are also asking the question is that is christianity just for grandparents or my parents maybe you're here today listening and you're not really terribly excited by that you'd have been there got the t-shirt christianity far too common and the danger to all of our souls but to those who have been in the church for a long time particularly is that you've never engaged the claims of jesus christ and the per and had a personal encounter with jesus christ it's easy to become just familiar it's something that our family does that you even go to church and it's just something that we do because it's it's we don't want to rock the boat. It becomes easy to be so familiar that there's no emotion anymore, no excitement in your devotional life in reading the word. There's no joy anymore in your serving. And I, the Holy Spirit may be poking you right now here today, and you know that familiarity with the gospel is not a good thing for your heart. It has caused maybe a resistance to build. And this is a repentance moment that all of us need to do, and I need to do. You know, as one who did grow up building the church, I had to come to the spot in my life as a teenager where I had to find out, and I had to ask the Lord, is this my parents' faith or do I actually believe this? And I needed to repent for myself and not live out my parents' or my grandparents' faith. And so familiarity is a real danger to all of our souls. Unbelief flows out of this kind of familiarity, and it is a a kind of contempt that Jesus is warning us today. And there is a type of heart where faith springs up, but all the cares and the pleasure of this world come up like weeds, like in that soil, the soil analogy of the parable, and they choke out that initial commitment, and ultimately render us lost. And so, as we close our service today, I, I want you to see these passages, those two lessons. You know, as we talk about familiarity being. Breeding contempt or familiarity being a problem for our unbelief or that unbelief blurs the obvious. But I see these words of this passage, especially verse 58, as a sobering warning to us as believers and a sobering warning to anyone listening about the power of unbelief. Jesus chose not to work with among people because there was willful unbelief heritage grace do you want god to work in your midst do you want god to do incredible things is there unbelief that is going to hinder your work and what god is doing in your midst this unbelief is a barrier that prevents the supernatural from happening among us and i and i think that's the the big message the big idea of this that we sh- should uh not be surprised that we that we should not exp- uh, be surprised by unbelief in our midst but there is a promise here and i love it when you can see what god does in the midst of even a warning passage because I, there's a promise that i'm reminded of this morning over and over in scripture Jesus loves to work with the little faith that we do have. And sometimes it's great. You know, and in Scripture, you see those moments where people express great faith. And God and Jesus commends them. He is astonished. We wish that it wasn't so many times that Jesus is astonished by faith. Sometimes we have moments of great faith that he delights in. But most often it's a, it's a faltering faith that struggles. But scripture reveals that he still shows up in those circumstances too. God wants people to come to him in faith and when we're struggling, while we're struggling, to ask him to work. And I want that kind of supernatural work in my own life. And I ask you, do you want that too? And I'm reminded of a scripture in light of this passage. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says these words. He says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never drive away. I will never reject you. You know, at the beginning of this sermon, I spoke about, some of the ways that we experience rejection in this world. And I'm reminded here and now that Jesus will never never reject you if you are genuinely seeking him today. If you're genuinely seeking him, you can know that Jesus will not reject you. What a, what a promise. I sometimes speak to people who have been rejected by the church or by other Christians in their lives. And these people have been genuinely hurt by this experience, and I get it, I get it. I don't want to diminish it in any way, but here is the truth. Understand this, that Jesus doesn't reject you when you come to him and you genuinely seek him. I want you to know this, that if you're feeling rejected today, Jesus understands better than anyone else. This passage shows us how Jesus responds to rejection, and he understands you in your rejection and what that feels like. And you can tell him about what you're feeling in prayer, and I, I want you to know that you can ask him to give you faith in him alone, and you can watch what he will do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today that you are uh, able to cut through even a warning passage like this and come with a, with a promise to anyone here today who is feeling rejected and they can know that you love them and that you've demonstrated your love for them through the gospel, through the, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's how much you loved him. And you didn't stay dead. You rose again. There is good news But we also know that there are places and we need to deal with our own unbelief at times. Lord, help us to respond in faith, to respond to you, and to overcome what Satan wants to do in our lives. And we, Lord, I pray as I speak today for the person that may be listening today who needs to reject willful unbelief. They need to Look at the evidence and see that there is evidence and that it's not just that they need more evidence, but they actually need to surrender their life to you. And I pray this, I pray that they will call upon the name of Jesus Christ and through faith be saved. That is what is needed today. And Father, we thank you that we can come to you, that there was once separation by sin, but through faith in Jesus Christ, you allow us to come into your presence and call you father, to call you daddy, and to be intimate in an intimate relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray today, I pray for your word to do the work that you promise it does. It, it says that in your word that it goes out and it accomplishes what you want it to do through the Holy Spirit. It's not about just preaching a sermon, but that The word of God is spoken so that people will have an opportunity to encounter the Holy Spirit in their lives, and that's what I'm praying for today. And I just thank you, and I ask for this in the name of Jesus Christ and his mighty work and for his glory in Jesus' name.